Welcome to the Boy Beats World Podcast. Today's episode is with the incomparable Michael Stanton. Stanton's my usual ride or die for Husky football talk, but we dusted him off to discuss the 7-0 in conference play University of Washington men's basketball team. Boy, that sounds good. Anyway, we discussed what we love about this team, took a dive into a Ken Palm rabbit hole, discussed what this team needs to accomplish the rest of the way out, and gave an ode to the great Bill Walton. Enjoy. Uh, Stanton, how we doing, man? This is uh, this is technically our second UW basketball pod, but no one heard the first one, so uh, <laughs> I don't know if it was good <laughs> or bad, but we get a second crack at it. Yeah, and we're not in a McDonald's parking lot this time, so uh, I don't know if that's good or bad either. I think people, like our, our loyal base of 15 people who listen to this might think we're kidding, uh, but there was a, a, a podcast recorded in a, in a truck um, outside of the Squad McDonald's. Uh, that was what? That was like October, November? That was early November. Like, think I thought it was Thanksgiving or something. I don't know. It yeah. was a while ago. It was football season. Yeah, I wasn't home for oh, Thanksgiving, yeah. so it was it was when I did my mock Thanksgiving um, beginning. Ah, uh, yes. Yes, yes, yep. yes, yes. Uh, but anyways, I am joined here with Michael Stanton. I, uh, my voice sounds like hell, uh, as I was describing to Stanton before the show. Uh, I haven't had this problem since like freshman year of college. Um, but basically in the morning and at night, my voice just completely turns into a frog and, uh, I don't know why. And it's kind of weird and there might be some sort of mold growing in my apartment causing me to do this, but, uh, I feel fine. So that's, that's, that's all that counts, right? Exactly. Uh, uh, yeah, I was reminded earlier today based off of a text we got, uh, from our good buddy Hatcher about the, uh, that, that kind of setting the scene. It's like 2005. Uh, it's 9 a.m. on a Saturday. You turn the Xbox on, and here uh, it's in the game, EA Sports. Um, and I was <laughs> like, man, I don't play video games anymore. I kind of like have distanced myself from video games. But you and I met because of video games, so uh, I hold a lot of respect for video games, and I have to. Yeah, yeah, Halo 2, one three. of the best video games. Prob- was it 3? Oh, yeah. wow, okay. Yeah. Well, anyways, Halo 3. Yeah. I, I remember it vividly. So yeah. many... I wouldn't say wasted, but I feel like what we played on there was just like custom games that didn't mean anything. <laughs> yeah. Custom games that didn't mean anything is a perfect segue for uh, maybe talking about <laughs> Pac-12 basketball. But um, yes, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that was, those were the days and uh, I, I cherish those. But yeah, that was a long time ago and um, I kind of owe it to that. So anyways, talking about the... Uh, the fabulous 7-0 in conference play Huskies uh, who have uh, had an average margin of victory of 13 points in their seven games in conference. Uh, they are now 35th in the Ken Palm rankings. They're 32nd in net rankings. More importantly. Uh, more importantly, 32nd. yeah, unfortunately. Um, yes. The, uh, the, the times are good, and I think that when you and I did have that forgotten podcast way back when, we were expecting this type of team, uh, but it's just been kind of a tale of two seasons. The non-con really got us down, and uh, and now with two victories over Oregon and Oregon State uh, in the state of Oregon, uh, you said it halfway through that game against Oregon State when things were just looking great. You texted us and said, "I love this team. Uh, it's it's been fun, man. <laughs> like this this is this is just all good times." Yeah, I mean. 
at the beginning of the year, if you told me we'd start seven and zero, I would have laughed at you. Um, I mean, this is the best start since 1953 for the University of Washington bas- men's basketball team. So um, this is pretty crazy. Uh, with that said, we all know the quality of this conference or the lack thereof. So I don't want to say it necessarily diminishes it, but in some respects it does. Um, but hey, 7-0 and is still tough regardless of how easy or, or hard a, a conference is or good or bad a conference is on a given year. So um, yeah, have to be very excited about what we're looking at so far, and I don't see us slowing down anytime soon. Yeah, it's it's uh it's gotten to the point where so this happened a few years ago and it happened last year. It happened with the Marquise Chris uh, Dejounte Murray team, where uh, being on the East Coast and uh, having to to come to grips with the decision of am I going to really stay up till twelve thirty uh, or later on a weeknight <laughs> to watch this team, uh, and it's based off of quality, of course, and that those Chris Murray teams were were uh, not necessarily a great winning bunch. Uh, but they were very fun to watch, and same with last year, uh, for the most part, until things kind of got, um, kind of went sour last season. But uh, it is it is past that test, and uh, looking at this week's schedule, seeing that USC uh, is an eleven o'clock start for me out here, uh, I'm designing my entire week around that so that I can watch that game. So that's that's the test. First of all, props to you Thank for you. doing that. I mean, I. Not all Out here, being games. an eight o'clock tip off, I I'm like annoyed that it's a late eight <laughs> o'clock tip off. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah, my dad. I don't have any excuse. My dad complains because if it's if he has tickets to the game, six o'clock is too early to get there. Eight o'clock is too yeah. late. It's just like you have no idea. Exactly. You have no yeah. idea. I, I I like the six o'clocks because you know I can go straight from work, having being uh, my office being downtown. I can take light rail there really easily straight from work. But the eight o'clock, it's like okay, I go home. And then I got to walk back down to Westlake and I, I shouldn't be complaining. It's all, it's all easy stuff. Yeah. But. Just keep me in mind whenever you have any. Yes. About yes. You have grounded me in this regard. Exactly. So I appreciate that. Exactly. So <laughs> uh, given that, that just uh, that credo here, uh, I love this team. I could get that on a shirt at this point. Uh, I'm just so, so proud of, <laughs> of how, how fun this team has gotten, especially considering uh, the only UW basketball game I got to see this season um, unless they end up playing in the NCAA tournament in Hartford, I probably won't see another one, uh, was against Virginia Tech in Atlantic City. And it was just such a downer. It was such a downer to be in that situation where um, we had just lost to Gonzaga. This was the last test in the in the non-conference um, for a team that had you know fairly high expectations. Um, and to come out flat the way they did, it kind of fought back a little bit. Uh, maybe I was sad because the team, maybe I was sad because I was in Atlantic City uh, where the stoplights don't work and it's just an absolute rat's nest of a place. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, but either way, just from, I think this, the, the part that's so powerful about this team is how, how well they've been able to respond to that because if we felt that way, if we felt disappointing after that game, I'm sure that everyone in that locker room felt the same way too. So they've been able to, to really challenge that notion and, and turn the season around. Yeah, and I mean... The, what's great about this team is literally that itself is that they're playing like a team. Um, I know that's not a very far-fetched idea, but if you think about the final few seasons under Lorenzo Romar, there wasn't really a true identity to this team. Mm-hmm. Um, granted that these were different players, but um, 
that, you know, there was nothing happening on defense. Um, I don't even know what the plan was on offense. Um, and it didn't look like anybody was trying to fix that. And it's been blatantly obvious that once Hopkins has come in, there's a set system for everything on either side of the ball. Um, last year you saw glimpses of it, but everybody was kind of trying to figure it out this year. Um, it, it's very apparent and it's, it's more most apparent on the defensive side of the ball. Um, now the 22nd rated defensive efficiency per Ken Palm in the country, um, holding, holding teams to a very low amount of, uh, points per game. I don't have it off the top of my head, but, um, it's, it's noticeable. Whereas I feel like in past years, it's just kind of given that teams are going to score a certain number on us, but we can actually lean on our defense to win us ball games, which is pretty fun. Um, I don't, I don't really know the the intricacies or the technical terms of the zone defense. Um, my my basketball career, playing career ended at fifth grade. Um, <laughs> probably shouldn't admit that as I'm on a b- basketball podcast. The Jersey retirement but, uh, was, was special though. Yeah, outstanding. You know, it's called Parks and Rec's T-shirt with the uh, with like a number laminated on the back. Um, <laughs> but but like you'll notice even like specifically I'm thinking about like Dom green on the wing. Um, he will, he will challenge the ball on top and then he will drop back in mm-hmm. holding his hands up to cover the corner. And there might not even be a opponent there. It's just drilled into him that once he, once he needs to drop back into his zone, he's like covering that space. He doesn't even care if, if there's someone there or not there. So you can just tell that this is drilled into them and it's like second nature at this point. And it's showing. It's pretty fun to watch. Yeah, it is fun. And that's kind of a new wrinkle that I've noticed, too, where they really extend out uh, towards half court on either side. And it's kind of a I I have a a brief stint as an assistant high school freshman basketball Mm. boys coach. So I know a little bit about what's going on there. It's kind of like (laughs) how it is in a one three one zone, uh, similar to the Bob Huggins style, uh, where you have the, the defender on the weak side or on the strong side come up. Uh, towards the ball, as you see uh, Dom Green do and Jalen Noel do, making it harder for them to penetrate into the middle of the zone uh, like you want to mm-hmm. do from the zone and attack from the wing. So, yeah, I mean, that that part of it is is new. They've certainly added some wrinkles. Um, and, and I think you mentioned it a little bit ago of just the identity that this team has, and it really starts with defense. And the defense had been there all along. I mean, they, they did a much better job. You look at how they played Virginia Tech last year. Virginia Tech hung 102 on them. Uh, versus yep. this year, where I think it was it was in the low seventy three. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. So I mean, not for nothing that it both in neutral site games. That's kind of a good barometer of of, of against a team that um, that that is certainly high high powered and potent and likes to shoot. Yeah, Virginia Tech hit some shots on you, but you were able to really stifle them. Um, and defensively, that was there all along. It's just the offense couldn't keep up. Since Pac-12 play has started, and maybe it was just needed a little bit more confidence, and maybe those games against at you know in in uh, in Auburn um, and the like were a little tough on the confidence early, but they have done so much to get this this entire team bought in. You talked about uh, you know it's a team. I was gonna spend a lot of time talking about Jalen Noel. We certainly could, but just how they've mm-hmm. gotten other guys involved. Don Green, you mentioned David Crisp has just like doesn't need any help with confidence, but he has just been spectacular from three resuscitating Sam Timmons back to life. I mean, after, yeah. <laughs> after wow. non-conference, I thought he was done. I thought he had lost his role to Hamir Wright. He certainly has a role in this team just as kind of a low minutes, um, but high production, at least from a rebounding and block shots perspective. 
I mean, it it is, and even Nas Carter. I mean, Nas Carter was was kind of sleepwalking through non-conference, um, and he just looks like a like a kid possessed out there. Uh, they they have done a lot to bring the component parts of this team up to speed um, in just a short amount of time. Yeah, well, Carter looks like a star in the making. Um, you know, I think he's averaging um, the third most points per game in conference play, only behind Noel and Crisp, and that's only because those two guys are just going off lately. Um, Jalen Noel today got named Pac-12 Player of the Week for the third time this season. Um, you know, Jalen Noel, that's going to be – he's going to be in the top five for um, – um, player of the year discussion good chance that he'll make the first team all conference um you have noah dickerson who's who's sort of been in a more uh, a lesser role than you would expect for him but that's still a first team all conference returner there so yep. you can always depend on him to go for 15 david chris as you said has just been lights out from three points so far um he's like the streakiest guy <laughs> but Right now, he's on the right side of that line, which is exciting. Uh, Matisse Thibel, arguably the best defender in the country. Um, I think he's the only only defender to be in the top 50 or something in both blocks and steals. Uh, like it's the first time in decades that that's happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and then you know you have people like you said Sam Timmons, who's just like actually serviceable, uh, especially on the defensive side. Um, and Dom Green, who can give you some great minutes and be lethal from three. I mean, there's just so many things you have to enjoy. And then the uh, best for last, and you know, Mike Hopkins, who's the some, in some cases the heart and soul of this entire team because he's the biggest character out there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just there, there's so many great things that you can point to that's happening for this team and just the program in general. Uh, I haven't been this excited about Husky basketball and probably probably since well probably since we went to the tournament back in, I think, what, 2011 or so? Yeah, yeah, that was, uh, that had been your first year of college. Terrence Ross. I was, I was, I was a wee high school freshman back, or, or senior back then. Um, but yeah, you're absolutely right, and, and this is kind of a scatterbrain conversation, but it, it feels that way. Mm. Just there's so much to talk about, um, and we haven't really gotten a chance to kind of break it down uh, week by week. But I mean, two big points came up this week in, in just whether I was reading it or watching it of Mike Hopkins in practice, one of which was talking about how they they really distilled the shooting um, over over the winter break, which is right around when the, the conference season started, and spent a lot of time uh, before practice to get guys more shots, more reps, to be better shooters heading into conference. That certainly had a big boon on David Crisp, on Jalen Noel, uh, even Dom Green it seems to be shooting better. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's, that's been huge. And then another point about Hopkins in practice was something that, that I brought up, um, I think in, in a different conversation with someone else of that Oregon state game and seeing, and just the, the heartache, everyone in the building knew, uh, our reputation going into Oregon state, uh, of what had happened Mm -hmm. there. The last two times you had been there being beaten on a buzzer beater, um, letting a game, that was not close become close and then losing because of it uh and he spent a lot of time in the middle of that game talking about that bringing it up over and over and over as a reference point for uh this doesn't happen to us anymore we have taken that next step as a program um and so when you hear stuff like that it's it's kind of intuitive right i mean 
if you have shooting problems, you spend more time on shooting. If you if you lose to Oregon State because you let Stephen Thompson hit buzzer beaters on you, you talk about it. Um, but that constant coaching, that constant, um, you know, pointing, getting better, better, better. I mean, I I wasn't in any real more huddles, but it just that that was never a characteristic of what we heard about what was going on with the Lorenzo Romar program. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's a, it's, it, I mean, it's Hopkins. Yes. It's the coaching stuff. Yes. It's also the fact that the experience on the team is, sure. you know, unmatched. Um, I mean, it's continuity per Ken Palm, UW's number one in the country out of 353 teams. I mean, we return 89% of the minutes that was played last year, this season. Um, so that helps. Uh, on top of that, we're because of that, we're winning every game that we should. I think we've basically won every game that we should have won this season, other than Minnesota, which was on a prayer three at the buzzer. And we've lost every game we probably should have lost this season, which were, if you take out that Minnesota game, you have Auburn, Gonzaga, and Virginia Tech. Now, Auburn just lost two last week and I think dropped out of the rankings or is like 25th, but Three Gonzaga. Right, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Too bad. Um, but Gonzaga and Virginia tech are both, you know, top 12 in Gonzaga's t- case, top five teams. So, um, it's, it's nice to see us not faltering against opponents that we should be beating. Um, now, now it gets really tough because now you have USC coming into town, which you could argue is the biggest game of the year so yeah. far. So um, we'll see what happens this coming Wednesday. Yeah, and just to to stick on kind of the you know, there's been so much to talk about with uh, with this team. That Oregon game, I think you and I both both remarked of we have lost that game so many times. Yeah, and that was something that I felt after the Kansas game last year of. of we had lost that game. We had been playing with a team that's better than us, and, and we're winning, we're winning, we're winning. And then right at the end, we lose it because we just don't have the composure, don't have the focus. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt that way at the Arizona State game and the Arizona game last year, that those games just felt different. However, uh, well, first of all, little quick Ken Palm stat for you. After Oregon went up five with like two and a half minutes to go, uh, mm-hmm. 9.4% chance of winning that game. Uh, Jalen Noel scores eight straight, gets it done. Uh, that was pretty awesome. Um, however, I kind of feel like we've been Oregon in that game so many times, right? We've been, we've been that team that, uh, wasn't ready for the start of the game and then, then worked our way back and then ended up losing yep. it for the exact same reason. That's kind of how the, the, the Virginia Tech game went, kind of how the Gonzaga game went this year. Um, and so to be able to now be that team that, uh, you are the start to finish, you are the better team, uh, you get punched in the mouth in the middle of the game and then you come back and you end up winning anyways. Uh, this mm-hmm. is just kind of that next step of now you're playing with a lead, you're playing with expectations, um, and it's it was it was really cool to see how the team was was able to maintain composure. Uh, in you know that wasn't that wasn't peak Otson there. That wasn't um, like it like it was. I mean uh, you know Otson is a different arena, obviously. Uh, that wasn't mm-hmm. peak Pitt, Pac-10 networks, Steve Fiziak, Marcus Johnson on the call. Uh, <laughs> not quite like that. However, Kiosera sponsored. Yeah. yeah. Brought to you by the O, um, but uh, but it was it was still a very raucous environment, not not home home court, obviously. So for them to mm-hmm. be able to to hang on like that um, was was new. It, it this all feels very new, very novel uh, for a program that hasn't had success like this for for quite some time. 
Yeah, I mean, Oregon State, you led wire to wire, um, and it seems like, I mean, although Cal, we we did end up, end up winning by 19, we didn't start strong in that one, but at least in the Oregon game, Oregon and Oregon State games, we've come out swinging like immediately, Yep. Um, which I can't remember us doing that in a long time, so that's been really nice to see. Yeah. So obviously there's some, you know, urgency right off the bat. And I think this team un- understands like where where they're at now. They realize okay, we can actually do something with this season. Um, and I feel like that urgency and that pedal to the metal is being even more emphasized at this point. Mm-hmm. Especially on the road, to be able to play that well early um, takes a special amount of of preparation and focus uh, to start like that. But yeah, starting thirteen to two against Oregon and eleven nothing against Oregon State um, mm-hmm. was, is uh, in two places where you have a lot of demons. Um, is, is, is really great work. And, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's awesome. And I think this gets into my next point of, we were talking so much about, uh, the on-court products and we are what, 20 minutes into this talking about how many good things there are (laughs) going on about this program that we have not even mentioned, uh, what some might say is the most, uh, most important part of this is the, the, the securing the commitment of, uh, of one Isaiah Stewart, uh, five-star power forward out of Rochester, uh, <coughs> Rochester, New York, uh, now in Indiana. Uh, but that was that was last weekend, and it's kind of an afterthought now. Like there's there's too much business to be uh, to be taken care of. Uh, where you know if you if, if you're just focused on the minutia of this team because there's a lot, uh, you don't even really worry about Isaiah Stewart. Whereas that got me thinking when Markel Fultz committed in August of 2015. It was a much different mm-hmm. story. Does it feel like that to you? That that with the steward, it's just kind of okay, business as usual. But uh, with with the Fultz thing, it was like this presented as, as this big, great hope um, of of things are going to get better now that we got this one recruit. I think that's just telling of the times. I mean, when Fultz committed, um, I can't remember were we coming off the Chris and uh, Murray season that was, or that no? Was before that season. Uh, oh, it, it was. Yeah. Wait, so, wait. The, it was the season before the the immediately before. Yeah, because so Fultz committed in August 2015, and mm-hmm. so he was a Fultz was this is before he was a senior in high school. So Fultz, we had Fultz okay. commit all of his senior year. So he was a senior. Oh, while okay. Chris and Murray were freshmen at UW. Yeah, I, I, I was more excited about Fultz um, at the time. Then I mean. Okay, this is tough because I'm equally as excited, I feel like, but I feel like it's less of an impact because right now I'm I'm feeling way better about this program than I than I was probably at that time. Mm-hmm. I mean, hindsight is 2020. Obviously, we know that Fultz came in and this team was terrible. I think it was the worst was it the worst of all time for Husky basketball? Worst in conference? Yeah. We went two and sixteen with them, right? It did not in pass conference? the test of me staying up to watch their games. That I'll put it there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Whereas um I and there wasn't much around him either. Whereas mm-hmm. I feel pretty good about Isaiah Stewart. I mean, he's gonna have some decent pieces around him um, coming up in the ranks. I know we lose a lot of players, but um, if you can keep Noel from go- from leaving early, you also have an up and coming Nas Carter. You have um, you know someone. You have that depth with Riley Simmons and <laughs> Riley. <Sorn. laughs> um, uh, 
Yeah, I mean, Hamir Wright, yeah. uh, Jamal Bay is pretty exciting. I think he could be one of the one of the more qu- the quicker guards that we've seen. Probably the quickest guard we've seen since Vinoy Overton. Um, so there, there's some pieces to be excited about. I mean, Raekwon Battle also coming in, and then you have that outside chance of lading, landing another top five, top ten recruit in Jaden McDaniel's from Federal Way. Mm-hmm. So. Um, I mean, Isaiah Stewart's going to be a one and done. I think it's pretty obvious, but um, it it's I can't remember the last time we got a huge recruit that was a big man. We've only only really been able to secure um, guards for that matter. I mean, you could maybe say Marquise Chris, but he was a different player. He yeah. was not the load that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Stewart. I'd, I'd say it's probably Spencer Hawes level impact exactly in, in terms that's of, going back 13 years i think it's actually more similar to the haas commitment now that i think about it because the haas commitment uh was right in the middle middle of the i think it might have been the season after the Bryn roy uh season yep. if maybe maybe two after that um roy senior year yeah i've got to think back on that but yeah it was more similar to that where you had a lot of program momentum um and then a, a big recruit coming on top of it rather than uh, a real real decline in momentum uh, and then a commitment coming on top of it, as it was with 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 Fultz. Um, just to kind of rewind the the clock on the Fultz thing, because I kind of forgot how this all shook down. Uh, but you mm-hmm. had you had Nigel Williams Goss. Remember him? Oh yeah. <laughs> so he he Gosh. has a has a pretty good sophomore season, um, or maybe a junior season actually, uh, and then announced his transfer in April 2015. Citing quote unquote changes in the program, doesn't really like the way things are going. This is right after mm-hmm. the Robert Upshaw season. Uh, you have DeJounte oh, Murray coming in. He might have gotten wind that Fultz was also coming in and knew that he was going to be a four year player. Uh, you had Jernard Giroux transferring, Giles Derricks, mm-hmm. uh, UW, UW great Giles Derricks uh, transferring. Yeah. So it was it was <laughs> chaos. There was an eight, eight man class coming in. Murray, Chris, Noah Dickerson, Matisse Thibault, Dom Green, Devonair DeRusso, Matatewe, like a, a ton of turnover. Uh, and and so it was, Fultz was coming in amidst a whole lot of question marks. Um, mm-hmm. And so I kind of compared that versus what you have here. And you just mentioned it, that, that the foundation, um, given even it, even that you're going to lose Dickerson, Thibault, potentially uh, Jalen Noel is still pretty solid for this program. And just compared the quotes of when Markel Fultz and uh, com- and and Isaiah Stewart committed. Uh, and Markel Fultz, when he committed, he cited his relationship with Coach Romar and a desire to get to the NBA. Which nah. don't I don't blame him whatsoever. That is should sure. absolutely be be every you know basketball player with with talent's dream is to one day play in the NBA. Isaiah Stewart mm-hmm. and I, I don't want to be this curmudgeonly like you know st- stick to the program. Uh, you know. Don't worry about the getting paid. Just do it for this this college that's not really yeah. doing a whole yeah. lot for you. I don't want to be that guy, but I'm just saying, mm-hmm. looking at what Isaiah Stewart has talked about, he's saying citing his relationship with Mike Hopkins very similarly to to Folsom Romar, but talking about the legacy that he wants to leave, wanting to do yep. it for a UW. Um, he wants to to kind of be a part of his own thing, as Mike Hopkins has done out here. No mention of the NBA. No mention of the NBA initially. And then uh, you and I, I think, both listened to his podcast interview uh, with Mitch Levy. Didn't talk about mm-hmm. being in the NBA either. So it's it's kind yep. of this this thing where you have a guy who's bought in, and you can tell that um, he hasn't been sold this bill of, okay, come here because you'll get to the league. It's come here so that you can be a part of something, um, which which is a 
is what you want to hear, even if Isaiah Stewart's just playing absolute lip service, it's still the message that you want to be hearing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, I I will mention on top of that, I feel like, not saying that Fultz wasn't, but I I'm, feel like this kid is very grounded and he um, appreciates everything that's gone into this. And he, um, for being a top five player, I feel like he has a great perspective on, you know, he's not bigger than anybody else. Uh, he's just going to come here and he re- just, he's mentioned it multiple times. He wants to just work hard and get after it with Hopkins because they know Hopkins is the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and he mentioned specifically how he had all these offers to blue blood programs, but like you said, he wants to create his own or a new beginning out here with, with the Huskies. Now it helps that Hopkins has known him since eighth grade and he's known Nas Carter from playing back at um, McQuaid Jesuit um, in Rochester against Carter's Bishop Kearney High School. So there's a little bit of uh, history amongst our team with him that helped us, pro- I'm sure, definitely helped us in the re- in the recruiting process. But um, he's definitely saying all the right things initially. So um, it, he will easily help deaden the blow that will be losing all those seniors after this season. Yeah, and and I, you hit on a lot of that of, of just kind of the, the points that I got from uh, from what Stewart was talking about with Mitch. Um, but the big one, and I've uh, I, I like to tap my horn every once in a while when I'm when I get it right or when the people agree with me. Uh, the first time was when I uh, mentioned that I had said that Miles Gaskin reminds me of work done, and then four years later, Brock Ewart <laughs> called it out. Am I right? Yeah, you were there yeah. for that. Uh, yeah, I was. I uh, I. In our group t- chat, compared Isaiah Stewart to Montreal Harrell, former former Louisville yes. Bucks, uh current Los Angeles Clipper. Who does Isaiah Stewart compare compare himself to? Yeah. Montreal Harrell, right? That was that was wild. Book it, right? So so <laughs> yeah. I, I might wow. have a gift at this. I'm just saying. <clears throat> All right, let's take a break. Stanton, are you ready to uh to talk a little cold brew here? Oh yeah. What do we have? You you like cold brew or do you do you, do you like the hot stuff? I I actually prefer the cold stuff. Well, you're in luck. But I feel like an insano for <laughs> drinking the cold stuff in the wintertime, so. Yeah, you're in you're in Seattle. I mean, what you, what what's what's the coldest it's been this year? Like 40? 40, yeah. Yeah. You're all right. <laughs> I could probably dabble. You're all right, all right. Tell talk to me when you've got an ice drink in your hands and it's it's 12 degrees and uh, yeah, there's snow and salt everywhere. Uh, anyways, I'm a big cold brew guy. I love this stuff, but sometimes the acidity uh, can leave me feeling a little dehydrated and worse than I was feeling before I actually drank the cold brew, especially if you drink it black like I do. But Loco Coffee Company has figured out a way around that by brewing their cold brew with coconut water. The coffee and coconut water combo makes for a functional cold brew filled with the electrolytes your body loves to go along with a killer caffeine jolt all in a 12-ounce can. One can has almost five times as much potassium as a bottle of Gatorade and twice as much caffeine as a cup of coffee. Can't argue with that, right? If you want to add some Loco to your life, search for Loco Coffee on Amazon, or you can head to drinklococoffee.com and sign up for their newsletter to get 20% off your first order. One more time, that's drinklococoffee.com. Stan, you in? You you, you getting crates of this I, stuff? Yeah, yeah. I, I would like to know, figure out how I can get this. Let's let's talk. Let's talk. I know some people. Uh, back to the show. All right. So uh, let's let's dig into this. We've talked a lot of, of just kind of general uh, gushing observations, but let's let's really crank it down and talk numbers here. 
okay. I uh, I convinced you to get a Ken Palm subscription. Uh, you've had a lot of fun with it, am I right? Oh yeah, just some late nights, you know, kind of get comfortable in bed and just flip open Ken Palm and yeah. just kind of get in the weeds, you know. I think my favorite part about Ken Palm is that this website kind of sucks, but in like a like in a, <laughs> I mean that in a very nice way. Like there's tons yeah. of information there, but it's not super intuitive on how you want to get to where you need to go. So like you kind of have to know your way around the streets uh, to find the the really good gold bits of information. Yeah, it's like it's it's like someone some analytical person, which is de- definitely the case, designed all this, and it just. It speaks to me because I feel like if I made a website like this, it would be exactly the same. <laughs> yeah, and it's just a list same. of just dumping numbers on a page. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's looked the same for like a decade too. Um, so it's it's just the <laughs> it's just bare bones, but uh, but it has some good info in there. Uh, so let's kind of go back and forth a little bit. What have you noticed yeah. uh, in your Ken Palm perusings about the dogs? Well, I think. The first one that popped out just because it said one next to it was that minutes continuity yes. um, just being returning the most. So that's, you know, being the first out of 353 teams is is something that is interesting. Um, I would say our our block percentage is super high mm-hmm. top five um, um, or six or so. So that and then then also steals is up in the top ten. Um, as so we're doing a great job and a lot of that is because of Matisse Thibault is just a, you know, possessed <laughs> defensive player. Yeah. Um, but then there's things like two point percentage, uh, 15th in the country on that, uh, standpoint, not as great in three point percentage at 84th, but, uh, you know, that'll happen if you're, if you're playing zone, I guess. Yeah. Um, so those have been some of the things that have popped out to me. Uh, what, what about you? Uh, well, you probably have gone deeper. I feel like you've, 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 uh, gone a couple layers deeper than that. I think the player stats are where I'll get kind of the, the most nuts, but just speaking to the, okay. to the defensive numbers that you were talking about. Um, well, first of all, the, the Huskies are number one in the conference, um, in, in offensive and defensive efficiency. So when you're over hundred possessions, uh, averaging 113 points a game, giving up 93, uh, you're doing pretty well. It's an average, average twenty point win over over a a long enough game, which is which is awesome. And and um, you know the defensive part of it, I think we could have maybe guessed, but the offensive part, as we alluded to before, uh, has really been where this team has made a ton of strides. But defensively, um, I think <clears throat> there's this cool stat about defensive possession length and and forcing teams mm-hmm. into how, oh, how deep yeah. into the shot clock are you forcing teams? Yeah. Um, to to shoot. Huskies are number one in the conference, number five nationally in defensive possession length, uh, forcing opponents to take a shot about with an average of like 11 seconds left in the shot clock, um, which kind of got me thinking, wow, playing a zone and playing this specific type of zone uh, has really probably been helped by by changing the the college shot clock down from 35 seconds to 30 seconds. Um, but sure. but uh, it's a metric that's kind of important. You think about Virginia as the gold standard for uh, for defensive efficiency. Uh, Virginia is actually gives up 0.2 seconds less uh, than UW does on the on the shot clock. So um, it's it's a cool number, and it, it uh, anytime you get college point guards and decision makers thinking 
um, kind of too deep about things deep into the shot clock, it, it can lead to bad decisions, which leads to steals and blocks as you talked about. So, uh, that's, that's a, that's a really cool number. And one, one that I, uh, I kind of imagine if you're Mike Hopkins, you take a lot of pride in. Agreed. I, I have another one here and I think you may have this as well, given the fact it's uh, player stats, but mm-hmm. Noah Dickinson has the number one free throw rate of any player in the country right yes. now. That would be free throws attempted versus field goals attempted. Yep. Um, Dickerson has been kind of struggling as of late. He hasn't really been his dominant self in the paint. But one thing he has been doing uh, pretty consistently is getting to the line. I think he drew 13 fouls in that Oregon game on th- this past Thursday, oh which is just an absurd amount. <laughs> I, I mean, it's almost too. enough to foul out three players. Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, that, you know, if he's struggling, at least he's racking up you know, fouls on the other team and he shoots around the low in the low seventies, which for a big man, isn't terrible. It's pretty decent, I would say. So, yeah, I actually have, have some good, good, uh, good Noah tidbits as well. Um, okay. it's kind of, uh, it's one of those things you pass the eye test. You look at the numbers, you see a lot of the same things. Um, but the, the Noah Dickerson possession usage, uh, went from around 28%. So more than, more than a quarter of the possessions went to Noah, uh, to in mm-hmm. to now in the non-conference to now 21 percent um, in the last seven games in conference his uh, percent of shots has gone down or percentage of taking UW shots has gone down from 22 percent to around 13 uh, percent so he's getting used less but even yeah. still uh, he is second nationally in fouls drawn per 40 um, so 8.1 fouls dra- drawn per 40 minutes that he plays uh, which is just a crazy number, a very difficult guy to guard, um, especially for for smaller guys. Um, but I think the big part of that is, yes, he's getting a lot of fouls, but if he can't convert, it's a different different story. Uh, his free throw percentage in non-conference last or this year is 77%, uh, but in conference is, is only about 57%. Um, so certainly something that you want to see much higher with him. If he's getting to the line, it's a great opportunity to cash in. Uh, but if he's not, then it's just uh, it's kind of a hack a situation. Um, so we, we, uh, being able to, for Noah Dickerson to a draw fouls and then a or B hit shots at the free throw line was how UW's offense was able to hold water last season. Uh, but if it happens again, this season where he's that good at the line, uh, I think that's where this team can really be a problem for, for teams to guard. Uh, I, I agreed on all those fronts. I was going to pivot here and talk about Thibault because I'm just seeing a lot of low numbers here on his mm. conference game stats. Yeah. Um, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm looking at block percentage right now. He, he, it's a 10.2%, which is the second mm. best in the conference. Yeah. A couple things here. One, that's pretty crazy given the fact that Matisse Seibold is a guard. Six, five. Um, <laughs> yes, that's yeah. Uh, secondly, uh, He's only second because Kyler Kelly for Oregon State leads the country in blocks. So that's kind of, you know, we'll give it to him. Yeah. But is that is that true that 10.2%? That means he's blocking 10.2% of the two-point attempts? I, I, I looked opponents? into this a little bit, and Ken Palm has okay. some of his stuff explained, or basically all of his stuff explained at various points. And, and the block individual block percentage... Um, is a, is a different formula than block percentage uh, for teams, and so teams is based okay. off of um, how many blocks per forty minutes. That's pretty easy, um, or how many blocks yeah. per possession. Um, yep. But with with uh, with players, it's a little bit different. So not 
not an answer I can give right off the top of my head. Um, yeah, uh, but it is. It would be absurd if he was blocking ten percent of all two point attempts. <laughs> yes, yes, that wouldn't make sense. But uh, but yeah, he's he's been really activated defensively um, in this in this conference and kind of his peak uh, defensive performances were in the middle of last season. I can vividly remember the Arizona State home game last year where he was just picking passes out of the air and it was just it, he he was a one man defense. Um, but talking about him on offense, actually. I think he's okay. been uh, a little bit of a disappointment as a shooter. I mean, I watched him in the Virginia Tech game. I think he hit four or five threes in that game. Um, he's shooting only 27% from three in conference. Uh, but even given that, his his true shooting percentage and his effective field goal percentage, basically how efficient he is, uh, are way up in conference play. So he's been doing a lot more slashing and being more involved as a transition scorer. Um, so he's not taking a lot of shots, which isn't really uh, f- affecting him too much. Uh, but him being a little bit more of a slasher, uh, more of a drive and kick guy, uh, has been has been kind of a nice thing that that he's expanded. So if his shot does start falling, uh, he's going to be really dangerous. Yeah, and speaking of shooting, uh, that's been something that the Huskies in general have been um, pretty <laughs> good at so far this conference slate. Um, I'm just looking here now, Jalen Noel. Uh, so uh, it's, there's been a lot of talk about David Crisp and his three point shooting since the conference season started. Um, he's actually second in conference at three point percentage at 52 and a half percent. But, uh, lo and behold, Jalen Noel is actually number one in the conference as at 54 and a half percent. It's just crisp has attempted, almost double the amount of three-pointers. Um, so that is interesting, especially given the fact Crisp was only shooting 38.8% from three. Um, well, if you take all of his gains to account, but as I said previously, 52.5 when you get into the conference. So um, definitely has ramped it up quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's and it, it comes from from different guys. I mean, um, in, in, the, uh, <clears throat> in the, the Oregon game when Nas Carter was, was a little bit of, um, absence, then, you know, you had mm-hmm. different guys step up. Um, and then in, in the, uh, Oregon state game, uh, Nas Carter steps up in, in that role. Um, and so it's just kind of this kind of whack-a-mole of they're able to not be completely reliant on Jalen Noel and Noah Dickerson who can get offense whenever, wherever, uh, but getting contributions from, from Dom green, uh, carving out a role for Hamir Wright as a corner shooter, um, you know, just, just being able to get offense from multiple sources bodes well for this team going forward so that if they have an answer for Noah Dickerson, they have an answer for, for Jalen Noel, they can at least get by, uh, with getting some of those other guys involved. Speaking of Nas, do you want to take a guess at his conference two point field goal percentage? I think it's like in the eighties. <laughs> am I, am I, am I wrong? You're close. It's seventy six point five percent, which yeah. is be- which is good for second in the conference. Twenty six for thirty four. That is absurd. That is like that would be amazing for a big man, let alone you know a six five, six four, whatever he is, guard that's playing on the perimeter most of the time. Yeah, four four dunks against Oregon State will help out that percentage. That'll a help. Lot. That'll um, help. But yeah, he's been he's been amazing, and some of it is is a little bit. Uh, you wonder how sustainable some of the, his pull-up attempts um, are and, and something that you kind of might want him to uh, to take out of his diet eventually. But uh, for now, it's it's certainly welcome offense. And, and yeah, Nas Carter, I think I could spend an hour talking about him um, uh, yeah. <laughs> just, just on his own. But it has been nice, uh, as we talked about his confidence before, I think at the end of last season, he was a guy that was, was really starting to look 
like he was ready for that next jump. And then in non-conference mm-hmm. play, he just didn't really show it. And and Hopkins kind of connected that to his confidence and the way he's playing now where like the spin move he had in transition um, to get to mm-hmm. the cup against Oregon State, it was like, who is this guy? And some of the stuff he does, you wonder if he's ever even practiced it or if it's just working out pretty well for him. Um, but yeah, he, he has just been so fun to watch. Um, and, and that this team in transition is just so much better than they were last year. Last year was just so many mangled attempts of getting those steals and having them not turn into anything. Uh, this year, mm-hmm. it just seems like they're a runaway train uh, in transition. Yeah. And I mean, Crisp still has his issues when it comes to transition. He will get I, I kind of like equate him in transition to like a really excited squirrel you know he's just like so excited or like just a sighted dog or yeah. something like he's so excited for this opportunity to <laughs> to like take it down the the court and put it in for two or whatever that he just will he'll give it up for some reason or just completely like black out mentally for a second <laughs> um that hasn't happened as much and that can just be a a product of experience, but we also talked about uh, previously before this podcast about um, the coaching staff putting the ball in Noel's hands more so as a one and mm. letting Chris be that shooter. Um, do you, how big of a factor do you think that's been in our success? I think it's been pretty massive, don't you think? Uh, I think anyone who's followed Husky basketball over the last few years can can attest to uh, less David Christmas decision making being being a good thing. Um, <laughs> but that's not necessarily a credit to say that David Crisp is incapable of, of making good decisions. It's just when he has to make a lot of them, it, it's got not going to, there's going to be more turnovers, right? He's a high risk yep. player. Um, he, he, that's, that's his, that's his credo. That's what's got him here. Um, you know, that's, that's why he is, he is who he is. Um, so to take that out of his game is asking a lot. So I think it's more of just like the composure and, and being able to give it to a guy like Noel who, um, can just do so much more than than Crisp can for physical limitations, for skill limitations, whatever it be. Uh, so yeah, I think it's important, but also I think it's just it's a little bit less Crisp in terms of decision making. It's a little bit less Dickerson, more Noel, more Thibel, uh, more Nazcar. Like it's just kind of not this you know binary. Here it goes to Noel. It just seems to be that they have um, you know there's there's more players involved in 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 the offense in general. Um, which is which is a good thing, no matter if it's taking possessions away from Crisp or otherwise. So yeah, it's it's just it's just better. Like watching this team is just so much better um, than it has been. Where it's just like, what are we doing? That what what possession mm-hmm. was that? There's just seems to be even even like you said, like I think in the game, uh, it's like why did you know we were texting about why did Amir Wright shoot that shot? It's like I'm okay with Amir Wright shooting that shot because he was wide open the corner and it came after four passes. And it's something that they clearly practice. And like that, that is okay with me rather than just like, oh, uh, Hamir Wright's in the corner and he has the ball, he's going to shoot. And that still happens too, but um, everything just seems planned and, and a, a, a part of a process, which is, I don't know, it's just, it's just so much better than, than, uh, than how it used to be. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I want to, I want to just, give David Chris some props here really quickly before we pivot. But I just look back on, on his turnovers per game. Uh, right now he's averaging two per game, which is the best he's, he's averaged in his career. Um, conversely, Noel is averaging 2.9, which is the highest on the team. Go figure that we're giving, putting the ball into Noel's hands more as a one and he's, and that's actually happening. But, uh, crisp, 
has in last year he averaged 2.4 per game and the season before that he averaged 2.5 so he's actually making improvements Mm -hmm. in that regard um so i will give him credit there yeah and having the ball less in your hands certainly means that'll yeah turn it over less too um (laughs) true but but, uh but yeah david chris is who he is he's not going anywhere he's a valuable part of this team the fact that he's able to stay on the court despite being as small as he is um, and playing that lead guard in the zone, I think, is a credit to to his headiness as a player. Um, and certainly a guy that you know you energy. Pull, yeah, you pull him out of there, um, and then you 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 don't necessarily like. I I am comfortable comfortable with David Crisp at the top of the zone, uh, despite him being five ten because of his just ability to be in the right place. Um, now there's certainly shooters that that can shoot right over him, um, but yeah, it's 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 just it's it's a it's a good system. It's functioning right now. Um, and it's functioning to the point, uh, as we transition here to our next segment, talking about um, it's tr- it's functioning so well that this is looking like a team that can just hold, serve, and get to the tournament. 7-0 and mm-hmm. in conference. Uh, there's kind of been this magic number floated out there, uh, the magic number being 14 as the number of wins in conference to get there. 14-4 um, and four was the 2012 UW team uh, that did not make the tournament, won the conference outright. Uh, they were 14 and four in conference. This team would only have to go seven and four in conference uh, the rest of the way out to make that happen. Uh, what do you think? Is 14 the number that people should be worried about, or is this? Uh, are we talking bigger potatoes than this? Well, 14 and four would mean you go seven and four in your fi- well, yeah, seven and four in your final 11 conference games. I'd be pretty disappointed. Yeah, if we <laughs> went seven and four, especially because. Um, you know, there's only a couple games on the schedule that you, that you're not going to be favored in. Um, and those are the Arizona games in Arizona. So, um, I I know this has a lot of parallels to the podcast, the the Mitch Levy podcast we're listening today, but you, you gotta be greedier than that. You know, seven and four is not good enough. Um, now the thing about 14 and four this year versus 14 and four um, that year in 2012 was our strength of schedule is a little bit better. I think this year, I think we're in, I think we're around like 50 or so. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I'm looking now the strength of schedule in 2012 was around 75. Now, conversely, you don't really have, you know, the, the conference is more down this year than, than, uh, than 2012. Um, so I don't know it. I think, I think you still get in at 14 and four. Um, this season in conference, but you got to shoot higher than that. I mean, seven and four would be a pretty disappointing way to go into the conference tournament. Yeah, I mean, if if this team uh, finishes the season with basically the same or a very similar resume to that 2012 team, you're right. It would be a, a, a tremendous disappointment because that would mean that given the next four games that Dallas have are against uh, the LA schools and the Arizona schools, probably the top four teams talent wise in the conference. Maybe you lose all four yep. of those, and then you beat everyone else that you're supposed to beat. That would be disappointing that you can't beat the top teams in the conference, um, or mm-hmm. that means that you beat some of them, and then you lost to teams that you shouldn't that you shouldn't have lost to uh, to make those four losses happen. Uh, and mm-hmm. then that would also mean that you that you lost to a team uh, as as bad as that Oregon State team was that year in the in the first round or the second round of the conference tournament um, to to really cement that that team was not going to go uh, to the NCAA sure. tournament. So, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. That would be a disappointment. Um, and, and for this team to be a one-and-done in the conference tournament, uh, this team is good enough to win the tournament and should 
really be able to 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 you know really hold the keys um, and and should have their sights on both a regular season and a conference tournament championship. Um, given that that might negate kind of the 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 unfortunate non-conference that they had, um, which you know they played a lot of good teams, but they lost all of them. And so to to really run the table against the Pac Pac twelve might show people uh, that what happened in in the non conference schedule um, was was you know it was what it was but they've they've overcome that they're 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 better now than that. Yeah, I w- I will mention that um, the schedule this season, at least from a conference standpoint, is probably the most ideal schedule you can possibly have. <laughs> yes. Um, where and what I'm saying about that is the two so. Every the 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 Pac-12 is kind of split up into you know two like pods. So we're with WSU. Um, you always play the the geographically like the two teams from their pod each week. So we get Utah and Colorado home and away from the South Division, but we only have to play USC, UCLA, Arizona, Arizona State once. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, the Arizona schools are at Arizona. We don't give them up here, but it's still only one time. So the four best teams, I would say, are the four most talented teams other than the Huskies are probably the LA schools and the Arizona schools. So um, the fact that you only get to play them once, especially given the fact that this season beating them doesn't carry as much weight as normal. It's just you got to get the job done, you know, and Can't move on. Yeah. I think it kind of plays in our favor in that regard. So, um, yeah, in, in like USC, UCLA, uh, tough, tough games. Don't get me wrong, but they're home games. Mm-hmm. I feel like you need to hold serve at home. Um, and we should be favored in both of those games. Home games that should be sellouts, too. I think that that's a little bit different than. Uh, than mm-hmm. maybe in years past is is what that home game in in Hackhead means uh, this year versus yep. versus uh, years before. So that'll be good. Another thing that was brought up, I forget if it was by Sean Farnham or by a different member of the ESPN broadcast in the halftime mm-hmm. of that Oregon game, uh, was that the bubble situation is much different this year than it was in 2012, which bodes well for the Pac-12. Uh, <clears throat> in 2012, three Atlantic 10 teams made it this year. Joe Lunardi only has two of them. Uh, three Mountain West teams made it. Uh, Joe Lenardi this year only has one of them going in. This is all as of right now. Uh, and then two <laughs> Mountain West team, or sorry, West Coast Conference teams making it. BYU and Gonzaga made it that year. Uh, but Lunardi only expects just Gonzaga to make it. So a thinner bubble on the margins will certainly bode um, well for the Huskies. Um, but also just this, this team should be better than that. It should be a better resume than they had that year. And there should be less teams to compete, contend with, uh, on the edge yep. of that tournament field. And, and that's the only reason why we didn't make it in. Well, one of the reasons why that mm-hmm. we didn't make it in in 2012 was the fact there was all those bubble teams. Um, so that, you know, just disproves our point that I think it's 14, four is going to be enough, but, um, like we said, it would be disappointing nonetheless. Yeah. That team also 2012 lost to Cal at home and Cal ended up being the team uh, that won the conference tournament. That was the Allen Crab team. Um, so mm, it, that yeah. might've had something to do with it. I, I can't remember if, if they, they cared about head to head back then or not, um, <clears throat> but not being able to beat the team that did win the conference uh, may, may have, may have sealed their fate, but uh, sure. missing free throws against Oregon state in the, in the tournament probably didn't, uh, didn't do a whole lot of good for them either that year. Um, but things are better, man. Things are better. This is a team that, that, that could and should, in my opinion, um, have a realistic shot at 16-2, 17-1, dare I say it, running the table uh, in this conference. But we'll see how these these next few games go. Uh, that'll certainly tell us a lot. 
my voice mm-hmm. is about to 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 die. Uh, but before I give up on it, uh, let's talk about someone else's voice to end this, and that is Bill Walton, who is the best human that is left on this planet. I am convinced. Bill Walton is amazing. <laughs> I I I cherish games that he televises. I used to hate them for some reason, but I think it's when the Huskies were horrible. Uh, now I love them. Yeah, I mean, I, I I think it's very split on Bill Walton. Um, I am also in the camp of just absolutely loving him, but I'll talk to like my dad or some other friends, and they'll absolutely hate listening to him. Yeah, which I can kind of understand. But like, <laughs> when when you're watching a game, um, I I don't know. It's kind of nice to just hear like, you know, let's let's put Not this nice. is a quote from him from. Oregon versus Arizona. Will the Ducks hold on or will Arizona come clawing back like the Jaguar population in Uruguay? That was sent to me by our buddy Caleb. Like, where does that come from? I mean, oh it's got to be some some like after high from his his time, like fo- following the Grateful Dead or something. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, I don't know where he comes up with these, but that's w- absolutely Walton is that the on air persona is no different than the uh, in person experience uh in 2000 yeah it would have been 12 maybe 13 i guess uh actually it probably was 2013 uh me and a buddy of mine we went to go see him talk before a uw oregon game on pac-12 networks um he he was just they had him there to to talk about the game and get people excited about it and he was he was comparing uh the the uw uh oregon game to this like gladiator level <laughs> like contest of epic proportions comparing columbia sportswear to to nike and just this battle of industry and seattle and portland and it, you just wanted to to like <laughs> you wanted to see the game as he did and and have just a genuine um love for <clears throat> for the for the event uh like he did but uh but yeah i mean his at his current level bill walton was woofing he was quacking um, in the middle of that that UW Oregon game, he uh, within two minutes of the game asked Dave Pash, his his play by play guy, what his name was. I mean, he is he is just not there to do anything <laughs> like focused or actual about basketball, and it doesn't matter because it's the most entertaining thing you could possibly have in a broadcast. Yeah, and uh, it sh- you said Dave Pash there. Dave Pash is <laughs> one of the reasons why it's so enjoyable yeah. because some of his <clears throat> comebacks are incredible, and the fact that he can he can manage like I think I, I use the term manage very lightly here, but manage a guy like Bill Walton on on a live broadcast is pretty impressive. Um, speaking of Walton, though, I think people need to realize how incredible of a person or at least from an individual accomplishment standpoint uh this guy like all the accomplishments he's he's had over his over his lifetime first of all he played for the greatest dynasty in college football or college basketball history and you could argue maybe even sports american sports history in the uh what was it 10 straight or nine of 10 seasons um John Wooden, you know, winning so many national titles. This is a three-time National College Player of the Year, two-time NCAA champion, two-time NBA champion, NBA Finals MVP, two-time NBA All-Star, NBA MVP. Oh, and by the way, he graduated from UCLA and also went to Stanford Law School. Like, I, I won't, I won't, 
I don't want to say it, but I won't do anything as great as any of those things in my lifetime. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, I feel comfortable saying that and I'm okay with that. Yeah. Don't rule it out. No, he's, he's amazing. And, and, uh, in, in a lot of ways. And so Dave Pash, uh, you mentioned is with the comebacks, there was one specifically where all of a sudden Bill Walton was talking about how he was an uncredited actor in Ghostbusters. Yes. And yes. Dave Pash was just pressing him for details and, Bill Walton didn't give him any and it just kept on going for for several minutes after that um and so I like you could you could present me with two options there's Dave Pash and Bill Walton calling a game or like the most technical you're gonna learn a lot um broadcast and I would I think Mm -hmm. I would choose Walton every time it's because I can get that elsewhere I can watch an NBA game learn a little bit but in the college arena when the the quality of play isn't that great anyways you might as well have Bill Walton. Um, and so I, I, now I need like a schedule. I need to know when he's present, when he's commenting. I need to know uh, what Husky games he's commenting uh, because mm-hmm. this, this matters. And I would also like to submit uh, this notion that Bill Walton uh, should be co-commissioner of the Pac-12 conference. Uh, his other commissioner is not me, uh, but John Wilner of the San Jose Mercury News. Oh, there we go. He is, he is the other uh, true homie because uh, my God, his suggestions for how to make this conference better um, are so spot on that I am shocked that they have not hired him. Yeah. Wait, John Wilner. He's the the Pac-12 hotline guy. Okay. Okay. Got it. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. That's Yeah. Yeah, he's he's outstanding. Um, I will say talking about knowing when when Walton's on TV, um, this is a weird admission, but I actually follow Bill Walton's wife now yeah. on Twitter it's because she posts know. every day like Bill will be on blah, blah, blah. And there's usually a photo of him in a tie dye <laughs> shirt, you know, outside of some <clears throat> building or next to some statue on whatever campus he's on. Yeah. Um, about the call the game. So uh, if you want to know. Where Bill's going to be, um, an easy way to do that is follow his wife on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, he's usually mounting some bronze statue, not dissimilarly from how you mounted the uh, Snow Leopard statue at the Woodland Park Zoo. Oh, yes, yes. That's and, uh, documented uh, somewhere. Uh, yes, it is. Uh, <laughs> <clears throat> I'm going to go find that now. That's, that's how I'm going to end this. Uh, have you, right, have st- you seen the Ghostbusters clip, by the way? He's, oh, he's, is it real? Oh, yeah, it's proven. I saw it on Twitter uh, a couple nights ago. It looks like he doesn't really know what's happening. He's just smiling <laughs> in the background like he's not even in focus. Like he's just kind of a part of the masses that are congregating around this scene um, in public. And it looks like he's just like, what's what's happening here? So he doesn't, so it, he doesn't I think it's totally it? by chance. No, no, he's not. He's not a part of the movie. It's just he's blurry in the background, but it's definitely him. <laughs> That's I'll send so you awesome. the video because <clears throat> he never <laughs> he never clarified at all. He just he just continued to let Dave Pash uh, <laughs> be in complete uh, uh, in the in the dark about what was going on there. Uh, yeah, I love Bill Walton. That would be the dream podcast guest. Uh, my voice would have yeah. to sound better than this uh, to to make it happen. But well, he talked the whole time, so I don't know. Might not <clears throat> that's matter. true. That's true. I got to talk to him about. Yeah, that's that's totally true. I could just let him run. Um, yeah. Have him leave a voicemail. <laughs> Say one word and let him go. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, all right, Stan. Well, uh, the dogs take on USC and on Wednesday night and then uh, USC on Saturday or UCLA on Saturday afternoon. 
Uh, it could be a whole different set of circumstances or these good times just could keep on rolling. Uh, either way, this has been fun. Thanks for doing this and, uh, and go dogs. As always, go dogs. Yes, sir.